Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways number 73. Here we go. Great, great, great episode today. Wrapping uh, kind of up the weekend here, talking about running towards relationships in our Mending Fits series. My name is Jody, and today I'm going to talk about how we have no idea what we're doing parenting. We're just making it up as we go. My name is Tim. I'm going to talk about how building a friendly relationship with your neighbor can lead to great godly conversation. I'm Izzy. I'm going to talk about how important relational equity is in a conversation. And I'm Kurt. I'm going to talk about what we believe and how we hold on to those things that we need to and how we let it loose on those other areas. All this and more in this episode of Well, hey guys, uh, tangible takeaways. Here we are. Here we go. The panel of wisdom. All right. The council <laughs> of wisdom. Um, we are obviously in this Mending Fences uh, series. Guest speaker Rick was in this past uh, weekend and really kind of hit on this idea of the wayward. Like, how do we run toward, approach the wayward? Which I think for a lot of us, I would imagine we all know people who would fall in that category. Um, I know that. A lot of folks in our church and, and even watching maybe even have children, family members, brothers, sisters, parents who would fall in that category. So I thought it was really timely um, in that. And so I think hopefully today will be really helpful as we just kind of dive in and navigate some of that. Um, let's start here. He, he made a comment this weekend, and I'd love to get thoughts on this, about um, the things that are basically worth arguing over. Right. Um, and, and so he gives kind of three, he gave us three categories on the, on the kind of the far extreme over here. He kind of gave us this core belief what we would consider like these are essential things. Mm-hmm. And then way over here on this side, kind of these personal preferences. And then in the middle, which in, even in the text that he gave was kind of more of this personal conviction thing. And as I was listening to that, I was thinking, man, okay, what is the measure <clears throat> that we determine which is which. Like, how do we know what's a good way for us to understand? Like, this is a hill worth dying on and not so much this. Understanding the categories is really helpful. But for someone someone watching or listening or in that boat even with a family member, like, how, what advice do we give there? How do we determine those things? Izzy. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. I, th- I think it's all context of the situation. I think it's depending on the relationship with the person. Um, like, obviously, if you guys are battling it out, whether it's theologically, obviously the truth is a lot more important, but um, it's worth, like he said something, um, occupying common ground, which if there's that relational piece, if you occupy that common ground, telling the truth is going to be a lot easier. Like, yeah making sure that that truth is getting into their mind is going to be a lot easier because there's common ground already and um, there's already going to be a relationship there. So, Yeah, I think that's important to run, you know, run toward toward them, not run from it, for Mm -hmm. sure. Well, and it can get discouraging because in the middle of that, a lot of times we are trying to figure out what are the things we should be talking about and it kind of, we could on the one side go and lean into the minimalistic perspective going, I just don't know what to do, I'm not going to do anything. Or you turn into that sectarianism where you're like so hardcore that they're you almost turn them off, and mm-hmm. it's that it's that emotion. Like, do I feel like I have it in me to do this? Sometimes a lot of our, so me and many others feel like I'm not sure I'm prepared to do this, 
you know, that First Peter 3.15, you know, have an answer for our faith. Yeah. You know, and, and yet sometimes when we get in those moments, we're not sure, do I really have an answer right now? And so sometimes we back off, not because we even know, know it's important, but we're not sure we're right, we feel the right person to do it. Right. And so some of that level is a, a confidence to study our words that when mm-hmm. we do engage people, I think there's a side where it empowers us. But then at the same time, the humility to know, I don't know it all. Yeah, yeah, And so there's that tension to say, I have to have confidence, otherwise I will just quit on my friends or my family because I don't feel I'm, I'm prepared for it. Or we get overconfident and we come across a little bit maybe more antagonistic and not really winsome like you were saying, Izzy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the approach matters for yeah. sure. Yeah, I do agree. I think there needs to be a balance of having, like you said, that knowledge, but not just like spitting it all out at once. And I think you had always talked about like the essential things, like you have those four stages of like doctrine and making sure like, okay, is this argument worth arguing for? Whether it be like an old earth, new earth type of thing, you know, whether the earth is millions of years old or whether the earth is, you know, thousands of years old, that's not an essential thing. Whereas someone says, no, I believe, for example, that Mormonism is very much in line with Christianity. Well, that can kind of be an essential because there's so many key doctrines that are opposing each other as far as that goes and so it's finding those are or having those arguments where the argument needs to go but even that word argument i always want to be careful with because we always have that that phrase argument as kind of a negative part of it and a lot of times it does become a negative part it should be having that conversation always having the conversation with love so let's talk then a little bit what are some examples of things that we feel like these things would be those core kind of belief convictions that you would say like, no, this is worth fighting for. Yeah. Yeah. I would say they're gospel centric. They're what scripture affirms overtly. I mean, if we say Jesus didn't die for our sins, we have a, that's a brokenness. We, if there's no resurrection from the dead, first Corinthians says that we're the most pitiful of all people because we're living this lie. Um, if we don't have, if we have salvation by works as opposed to salvation by grace through faith, then we have a different salvation. So I think there's those core essential, like you're saying, Tim, essential mm-hmm. issues that we hold on to. And I think they're issues that maybe are rooted in authority in Scripture. So yeah. let's just take an example. You kind of referenced it loosely. Um, the age of the earth. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's core, mm-hmm. but I would say that God created it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so that's an example to me of saying, I think we could argue, no, God said he created and If you said he didn't, at some point, the Bible is a lie. Exactly. And therefore, it cuts against the other authority what the Bible teaches. So mm-hmm. if it's not authoritative on something as clear as in the beginning God created, why would it be clear on issues of you can only be saved by grace through faith? Yeah. If it's not reliable in one, then mm-hmm. it might not be seen as reliable in others. And yeah. I think that's a slippery slope we don't want to go down. Yeah. Yeah, and so much comes back to you know that, that Genesis 3 or the Genesis 2 question, right? Like, did God really say? And I think that's the tension in so many of these conversations mm-hmm. is... Everything seems to always come back to that. Mm-hmm. If you're in a conversation with someone who's walked away or wavered or just doubting or even just questioning, maybe they're not even a believer, um, or haven't been, but they're, they're they're antagonistic towards, you know, I think it's, man, does the Bible really say this? Mm-hmm. Or, or where does, and that's, again, even going back to what you said earlier, where sometimes you feel like, oh, I don't I don't know if I know all the answers. Or, and so maybe we just bow out. Mm-hmm. But I do think if we love folks, like we say we do, we need to be willing to wade into that. And and the posture of our heart is going to matter. Mm-hmm. Do we come to win the argument? And I think, you know, 
even this weekend, when when the argument or when the person, no, yeah. like when the person, not the argument. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means doing both, but being able to navigate those tensions of that is going to be a challenge, in, especially in our culture today, because I think everything is going to come back. Well, does the Bible really say? Or, or are we trying to redefine uh, what things mm-hmm. what things are and what things mean? What about some example? Or do you have something good? Well, when you're passionate about Christ in your faith, it's some of those ones. It's interesting, just in my own soul, is that I think I have to differentiate for me. This is like the eternal salvation we're talking about, yeah. And that has to move me. But if I've been walking with Christ, there's also a you understand by that decision you're making, whatever that is, you're just not living according to His design, and your life's gonna be miserable. I mean, there's a pragmatic side of what I want to tell people that isn't the same level as you have an eternal issue that is hanging in the balance. But if someone has this sort of an addiction or something going on in their life, that is equally powerful, but it doesn't have the same end game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think even in my emotions, I love walking with Jesus as much as I can. I've failed miserably many times, but that that joy of, man, life is just better when we live as God designed us to live. Both, I think, can, can kind of ooze out of us a little bit. Yeah, and, and so just by way of example then, you know, core belief, we're saying, okay, these are like essential, essential doctrines. The person work of Christ, depravity of man, authority of Scripture, like those we would, these are, these are staples. On the other side, maybe when we talk about personal preference, that might be worship style. Sports teams. Sports, Sports teams, teams unless, you live in, <laughs> unless you live in the South. It's a little bit different. Yeah. There's a little bit of crossover there. Um, like, what are some things when you think of like the preference side or things that we would say, like, now this isn't a, this is a, this, it's okay, but this isn't a, a thing to argue. One that I always run into, especially, you know, going to Biola is Bible translation. That's a huge one because there's so many people who will say, like, this translation is the only translation or this one's the only translation. Well, for me at that point, it's personal preference. Like as long as it's a, you know, authorized translation at that point, it's done by scholars, that at that point becomes a personal preference and not a hill to die on. Yeah. And I think with translation, especially like the use of is really like if it's a personal reading Mm -hmm. versus study. Exactly. Right. You may use different. Yeah. And there's some people that bring like, and not a translation say the paraphrase is my translation. And at that point, that's an essential. It's like, no, that's not really a translation. And you should go to something that's more you know, is actually uh, translated from the Greek, had a bunch of scholars' hands in it, and that would be, in my opinion, an essential conversation. That's a good one. Coffee, the coffee preference. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a preference. Would you say, Izzy, would you say worship? Yeah. The style think, of worship? I think, the st- yeah, that's definitely yeah. a preference. I mean, um, some people like the really passionate worship where people are going crazy on stage, which is cool. Some people like hands to the side, not moving at all. It's all preference. I mean... Um, at the end of the day, it's between you and God, right? And that's kind of like the hills. It's like it doesn't matter if I move on stage or not. It doesn't matter how you guys see me worshiping between me and God. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, that's definitely preference. I mean, I see people fight over that all the time. Yeah. 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 That was a big thing for a long time. Yeah. I think on the worship side of it, too, there's the preference side of it. But I do think there is a side of it, too, where you have to also look at what's being sung and, you know, the theology behind it. So mm-hmm. there's some songs that I personally don't lead because, for example, the song Holy Spirit. I don't personally lead that one because it's Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And it's very clear in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is already here. He lives inside our hearts. So for me, I'm like, mm, 
I can't really do that because it's not really reflecting in what scripture says. Yeah. So. But if you were, you were, let's say you were visiting somewhere or you were maybe away at a conference you would have, and that, that song was led from stage, you would, that would be more of a personal preference for you to be like, ah, oh, okay, I wouldn't lead this. Exactly. But I'm not going to storm out. But I'm not going to label it. Yeah, yeah. Go on the stage yeah. and say you're all heretics for leading this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we, we come from such a historically militant reaction to things. Exactly. Or how we handle our disagreements. I mean, mm. Even in back in the Reformation, which is pretty amazing to get our faith rooted. <laughs> some of the arguments that they had and some of the separation certain theological leaders was relatively minor mm-hmm. yeah. but they became really major issues mm-hmm. and even back in the 60s 70s and 80s in the united states you know the end times argument became this passionate thing and kind of like do i believe i have a belief i've studied i know what i believe mm-hmm. but i also know there's really godly men and women who believe differently on so like on eschatology end times but we also would all be in the same camp jesus is coming back for exactly. us exactly and so that again goes back to the core, right? Yep, the, that's core the core is not the, the the core is the what, not the how. Yeah, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That is reality. When it happens, how it happens, there will probably be some differences on that. Um, but that's what I you said. How we hold those things. Yeah. Yeah. Every thrift store I walk into, left behind. Left behind. Left behind. Yes, it's been left behind. <laughs> is it all seven of them, or do they have some? It's usually multiple copies, right? Okay, I mean, you gotcha. just walk through, so you you'll can find them. Pick and choose which one you want. Those books never going away. They're never going away. <laughs> if they missed the rapture, and that that was right. Those series were right. Like pe- people are, they're in good shape. They're in good shape. They'll just go find them. Let's go find them. <laughs> what about this idea then of of you know kind of the the fruit of the conversation or. or Bearing the fruit is more important than kind of getting getting the answer or running towards the answer. I think, you know, one of the things that um, that we said this weekend, which, I, man, was such a powerful thing you said, is, you know, the church is what makes an argument plausible or implausible. And, and by that, really, the context of that was, like, our character, our attitude. Are we always fighting? Or, or are, we, are we actually living out the things that, the scripture would say, hey, this is what we're, we're supposed to, to be. How do you think, like, so if you were, let me let me give you a real example. Let's say that we were talking, you were giving counsel to someone whose family member was uh, wayward, but not just, not just wayward, but like really argumentative against it, antagonistic towards church. Like, how, what advice do we give to someone in that moment? How do they live that out to still pursue the one they love, deeply burdened for their but, but yet not, not breaking any more bridges. Well, I think he touched on this this past week, and he said content is important. Right? The content that we speak of, the truth that we speak of is important, but the delivery is more important. Right? And that's when he says exercising the fruits of the Spirit with love, patience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And when we're delivering that with that love and patience, it's easier for them to accept the truth. Right? It's like, okay, he's coming at me with some patience, even though I'm, I'm arguing a lot. Um, but even what I said earlier, um, occupying that common ground, which is like that relational piece, um, I feel like that's part of practicing fruits of the Spirit. You're occupying common ground um, in order to create a conversation that's meaningful with them because it's like, oh, wait, they, they know what I'm talking about. Rather than because he also said this in the message, he said, Christians a lot of the times assume what they're going through. We hear one little phrase and they're like, okay, I know what they're going through and we automatically speak on it rather than. No, I got to occupy the common ground um, right away, rather than 
Oh yeah, I know what he's going through. I'm going to speak on it. So, yeah. like, help me understand. Help me understand why you think that. Right. Well, and ultimately, when you're in that, most people like there's a statement I just hold on: hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. And when people are going through whatever in their life, and they've walked away from God, and the church is maybe part of that walking away process, there's probably a hurt there that I won't understand unless I'm patiently waiting to hear it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's even um, right or truthful. But that's what they're experiencing, and, and so I have to understand that before I can really engage them. So I think sometimes we answer questions people aren't asking, mm-hmm. and when that happens, yeah. there becomes a, a hurt because you're not, they don't feel heard. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. one of the key things at, in seminary when we're going through our spiritual formation process, and especially training us to counsel people and to talk to people, the number one thing they said, listen. Mm-hmm. Don't talk. Just listen to them. Hey, tell me your story. Tell me what's been going on in your life. And every single person who's struggling with their faith that I've talked to, there's always, like you had said, Kurt, there's something inside, there's something deep in there that happened in the past that led them to this place. Mm-hmm. So let's get to that root first before we address the overarching issue that's going on right now. Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard for us to do that, to listen? Because we love to argue. I think it's ingrained into our culture to argue, 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 to be passionate, to stand firm in what you believe in. And one of the ways you do that is by arguing, by having debates. I mean, they teach us to do that in school. There's an actual debate class there. And so as Americans, it's ingrained into our minds to argue and to win the argument and to feel good coming away from that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I try to teach people, like it feels good to be angry and you need to set that aside because a lot of times in arguing and debating that happens you get like this this you call it like almost a righteous anger and it feels good it's like okay put that aside because that gets you nowhere yeah yeah i don't want to argue with you but (laughs) but you're wrong but no but i I think it's totally right i think the other one is impatience yeah Um, all the way through scripture you have this imagery of seeds being planted and i think in american christianity we we feel like we're spiritual miracle grow where our job is just a fast, you know, we're just going to speed up the maturing process. Let's, let's help this. And it's partly out of our love because yeah. we've, if you've, if you've been transformed by Christ, you're like, man, I just want this as fast as yeah. possible for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they might have to go through seven steps to get there, to work through their, their thoughts, their pain, their hurt, their confusion. We want us to jump from one to seven because we know seven is amazing for them. Right. Yeah. And so our impatience and not letting the seed just actually take root and, and figure out how that's going to grow. We, we, I think we just try to bypass because we love them so much and we yeah. love God so much that we just get blinded by it. Yeah. It's so funny. We're going through Rooted with our small group leaders right now. And that's something that someone brought up. He's like, I want, I want them to know what it feels like, this joy that I have. And then he's like, but I can't force it on them. And I can't, like you said, instant miracle girl. Like it's a process that happens. It takes time. Well, and ultimately we'll look like fools. Yeah. I mean, first Corinthians one talks about the, the wisdom of God is like foolishness to them. Mm-hmm. They look at our lives going, Oh, you guys are crazy <laughs> because what, if we try to force it, they're just going to look We're we're the weird ones. Yeah. yeah. But as God pulls them along, they, they start to see our life and it's like, Oh no, actually that's, that actually makes sense a little bit. What happened all of a sudden? And they yeah. begin to see what we've been trying to help them see, but it takes a spirit-led illumination to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And I think we sometimes take the Holy Spirit's job away from Him. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I That's think even, that even goes back to the attorney and um, the witness. Witness, yeah. like we try to play attorney, where it's like, yeah, we want, we want y'all to make that decision, but in reality, it's like, I can't force them. 
That's not mine. I'm going yep. through premarital right now. And that's something that was in the book. It said, I can't save my spouse. Mm-hmm. As much as I love her, as much as I want um, her to live a perfect life, I can't do that. And um, it was cool because it, knowing that it kind of sucks, but also it's like it takes weight off my shoulders because mm-hmm. like, it's not my job. I could lead him as much as I can, but at the end of the day, God's going to do what he's going to do. Um, and I think it's the same thing because out of love, right, we want, we love them so much. We want them to make that decision right away because we know um, how awesome it is. But it's also like, and we can't force them. We, yeah. It's not us at the end of the day that gets them to make the decision. It's all God. Yeah. That's hard, I think, if you're a parent mm. of a wayward. Yeah. Because I think the other element, and Kurt, you know, you have, you have older kids, you and I both you know, kind of teenage and beyond years, like as a parent, you always feel somewhat responsible for the decisions that your kids make. Um, you, you, we don't always take credit for the good like we should, but we always feel the weight of the mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so when you watch a, one of your kids walk away from the faith or, or fall, you know, badly, like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Like, so I think the emotion of that isn't just, oh, I've got to win the argument in that context, right? It's, it's, this is my fault. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've, I've messed up somewhere along the way as a parent, and I've, I've brought this about. How did I fail my kids? You know, and I, you know, I don't know that that's always true. I mean, sometimes. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. But sometimes it's not, right? And so I think the encouragement that I would give to folks is like, at the end of the day, every we're all just making it up as parents. Well, and the, and the examples, the examples, we have from the, the examples we have in the Bible are, it's just like, okay, some of the best people in the Bible, a guy like David, his son's trying to kill him. Yeah. I, yeah. At some point you're like, that's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he That's wondered. That's never happened to me. <laughs> yeah. For the record. See, you're a better parent never, than that. That's awesome. Happened. I've never had any of my kids. But if you look at the, if you look at the parents in the scripture, it just is amazing. Yeah. Of we are, sometimes I think we place too much on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, I think there's a tension because it's also not a free you know pass if we've not been great parents. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's that spirit led yeah. openness to being humble. God work in my heart what did I miss is there ways I could supplement now even as they're older mm-hmm. yeah. are there things that I did wrong that I think I could actually speak briefly into mm-hmm. and influence even though I'm not maybe leading anymore and I think context even, well even even the other the opposite is true right in scripture you also see people that were probably parented horribly right who God uses incredible incredible yeah. ways. like he calls them out just just because he does mm-hmm. and so as a parent yeah, we want to do our best. We want to raise our kids in a way that points them to Jesus. We want to model our faith for them. And and if we do those things, I think, you know, our kids got a better shot, right? But it's still no guarantee. Mm-hmm. It's still no guarantee. And so, again, we're making it up as we go, and we're all hoping we don't screw it up. But we even going back to earlier, what we said, man, at the end of the day, we just trust the Lord. That he's yeah. he's able and faithful, and that the path for our kids or for whoever, it's maybe not the one that we would choose, but it doesn't mean God can't use it. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole essence of Book of Proverbs. It's mm-hmm. not guarantees, but if you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. Yeah. That's not for everyone, but generally, if you are walking with wise, you will be wise. Yeah. Yeah. There are exceptions to that, but that's a premise. It's just kind of an axiom, yeah. and 
I think the parenting side, you know, there is a side where things typically go better when you parent your kids in a godly manner. Yeah, for sure. But even in that environment, people There's, have choice. Yeah. 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 But the weight of that feeling that is, is, is different. Different. Right. And I think the same could be true for a spouse who sees their, you know, mm-hmm. husband or their wife walking away or not walking faithfully. You feel like, man, I'm with them, the responsibility of that. And, and so, again, how do we do that? Well, we do that lovingly. We do that finding that common ground and living out the fruit of the Spirit. And all those things are, are really um, helpful in that. But, again, patience. Well, you feel either helpless or you're going to say hopeful in God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those things maybe at the yeah, same time. At the same time, yeah. I love, you know, the Bible tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That's a far cry from an argument one. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that there's not truth shown and given, but how that is given yeah. um, is incredible. Okay, he also said, and I loved this, he said this kind of uh, this weekend, he said, if you love Jesus, you won't have to sell Jesus. You just put him on display. What, do you, what does that mean for folks on a daily basis? Yeah, I think it's just making sure... I always tell people one of the easiest ways that you can live your life for Christ and walking in step with him is reading scripture and constant prayer because the more we get to know him, the more that we start reflecting him. Mm. Yeah. yeah, That goes to James 2, your works are going to reflect your faith, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's huge because I think a lot of people get caught up. I used to get caught up in this where it's like, man, you're saved, but you're not living it out. You're saved, but you're not living it out. And yeah, reading James 2 was huge for me because it was like, Okay, obviously there's, there's a balance. You can't just say you're saved and not live it out. And then, yeah, reading James 2, man, your, your faith is going to reflect your works. I thought it was so huge. Outside of church, especially, because yeah. we work in a yeah. church. Yeah. We're yeah. all in the offices. We're all buddy up with each other. But when yeah. you go outside, how are, how are we acting? When you're at the grocery store, there's a baby crying in front of you. How are you acting? Yeah. <laughs> when your chip on your card messes up, how are you acting? And I think it's huge. I think your works outside of church are super important because that's how people see you because you're in a spotlight. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, that displaying Christ is interesting because I think there's always a reaction when you display the person of Christ in your life, and it's not always good. Yeah, We know that because Jesus displayed Jesus, and he got killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he ultimately was the most beautiful display of his character, his quality, the nature of God in human flesh, and the response was mixed. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's one of those things where I don't want to take the burden to walk a certain way because I do need to respond and look like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But I also can't expect everyone is going to like that right. because it's that whole issue of light and dark in the, in the Gospel of John, you know, where there's light and there's darkness. When you're light, there's, there's some people that don't want the light. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually maybe the majority of people we interact with. But again, as God's Spirit moves in people's lives around us in our 8 to 15 in a relational world, there are people, I think, that God is drawing to the light even though they might still be in the darkness. And there's others that we really want to come to the light, but they're not yet there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's frustrating because like, I want them to see the light. I, okay, this guy, he's okay, but I wanted that person. Yeah. And, but God's drawing them, and, right. and it's hard because Jesus was very polarizing. He was not a, let's just show Jesus and everything goes fine. But I love this point this weekend. That's our job is to display Christ mm-hmm. yeah. and let the Spirit bring people into that relationship. Mm-hmm. The old Francis of you know Assisi quote right that yeah. that everybody misquotes and misuses mm-hmm. that you know we're to preach the gospel at all times and use words when we need to and and it's like we we say that because I'm like oh I'll just live my faith out 
and not, and then we don't really share. Mm-hmm. We just hope that our life reflects it. And so it's almost like the opposite, even is to what you're saying, where sometimes we can just, if we're not careful, just be known as good people, mm-hmm. like, but we, they never understand what's beneath it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember when we were living in Georgia, we were doing college ministry and I would, I would meet a lot of times with professors who were believers at the university. And it was always a challenge for them to find ways to live out their faith and to make known their faith in that context. And, and we would talk to students and I would know a lot of times, you know, these professors, these are believers. And so I'm, I'm kind of steering some of our students towards them in that regard. And they would, and I, so many times I would hear, I just thought they were really nice professors. They were just, they're just really kind. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great, but maybe not enough. Yeah. Right. And so at some point, it's a both and. We we lovingly preach the gospel and the good news, and we we lovingly run towards those conversations, finding common ground. Like we said, we do so graciously, living out the fruit of the Spirit. And our life holds up to the message. And, And... think that's what we're seeing more and more is like the things we're preaching and saying aren't necessarily things we're doing yeah and so being able to bring those two together and and be a better and greater reflection of what scripture asks is important well yeah in our world that so much is collapsing there's so much uncertainty there's so much anarchy people who have a spiritual stability to them over time will be attractive Mm -hmm. that that person hasn't changed for 20 years they seem to have this different way of looking at life. There's a joy there, and it is opportunity to share. Yeah. But I think that, again, it's that long game. It's, guys, we, we can't do it on our own, and we can't fast forward it. But that stability, our culture is imploding. Yeah. And when you look around, it, they may hate us now, but that stability is what is going to draw people back. It's that exactly. we build our house on a rock, mm-hmm. and the waves pound against us. And right now, the cultural waves are pouring against the church. But if we can stand firm, we'll be there when it's done and people will know I can go there for safe harbor and at least get answers to the questions because this world didn't answer them for me. Yeah, It's so interesting because I had a neighbor at the house we used to live in over by Spring Valley Lake and I'd go out to, you know, take out the trash, get the mail and he'd be like, hey, Tim, come over here. So I'd walk over there and he'd be like, hey, I'm going to ask you this because I know that you're a pastor, you're a believer. So what's your thoughts on blank, blank, you know, and he lists off what it is. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And then it creates that opportunity. But that that conversation happened because he knew I was a believer mm-hmm. and he knew that, you know, as a pastor, he'd be able to ask me and I'd be able to give him an answer. And so still praying for that neighbor. Hopefully one day he'll, uh, mm-hmm. he'll accept Jesus. But it's just a perfect example of that. Like there's a light that's there. And like the Bible says that we are, you know, the light of the world, a city on a hill. And that's what I think we're supposed to be as Christians, is we're supposed to be a reflection of God's goodness. And because of that, just like Israel was supposed to be in the Old Testament, then the nations will come and say, teach us how to live. Teach us about your God. Yeah, in a world full of brokenness, right, where there is no structure, Mm -hmm. we have to be that structure. The church is the structure for the gospel. He said that in the message, Mm -hmm. and I thought that was so good. Um, You know, you said there's plausibility, right mm-hmm. that's that's our structure for the gospel that's why the gospel stands because we're spreading it right we're living it out so i thought that was really good what he said that yeah. stuck with me trust is really important mm-hmm. right it, we, they may not agree but if they trust like even your neighbor 
he trusted that he could ask you the question and you would not respond. Exactly. You know, like you wouldn't be dismissive, you wouldn't be argumentative, you wouldn't make him feel less. It was just a, a trust there, a conversation. Mm-hmm. So that's huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, any last thoughts as we wrap up here? He said something that I thought was really cool. And I think that goes into just the little things that we're arguing, arguing over. He said, we've made our second things our first things. Mm-hmm. But that's so huge because I think even as Christians, when we argue with other Christians about the little things, that's usually what it is. It's we make the second things the first things. And it's like, there's no point in that. At the end of the day, Jesus died for you. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys want to add, add to that. But. Well, those second things... If they become the first things, the first things become a little less valuable. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing, I think it was Chuck Swindoll said, he doesn't believe as many things as passionately did when he was younger, but the few things he believes, he believes stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes the essentials become more important. Right. And I think there are many essentials. I don't think it's just one or two. There's many essentials to our faith. But when there are 50, yeah. that it, it just makes those 50 be diluted a bit. Mm-hmm. That's caught in the mouth. That's good. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. This was fun. So hopefully this has been helpful, practical. If you haven't yet seen the message, great message from this weekend. It's been a great series. We hope you'll stick with us, and we'll see you again in the next Tangible Takeover.